Welcome to this episode of the Ghost Stories podcast. We are now quite deep in February 2024, which means we are firmly in tax season. I can confirm this considering I spent my weekend doing provisional tax calculations, which is one of those great joys of being an entrepreneur. You get to do really fun stuff on your Sunday, like work out how much you owe SARS. But my guests today are here to help us find out how to owe a little bit less to SARS and to invest in some solar along the way. So we haven't met the team from Future Nears before in the Ghostmail platform, and I'm really excited to meet you guys. James Rothman, Dion Lewis, thank you so much for making the time. It's very good to have both of you here. So I think, Dion, let's start with you. And just a quick intro from your side of you know what you do at Future Nears, how long you've been involved. And then James, maybe you can do the same for us. And I'm quite keen to dig into What's keeping you guys so busy this month? Yeah, thank you, Ghost. Yeah, so Futureneers started off in 2016 as a venture capital fund. And, and very quickly on, we obviously jumped onto the 12J uh, bandwagon and raised most of our 12J capital in that fashion. 550 million in capital raised to date since then. And just to give you a breakdown of the asset classes, uh, 36% into solar, about 18% into hospitality, hospitality meaning the Pool Valley Hotel at the Pool Valley Golf Course um, out in Paul, as well as a lodge in the Western Cape, 10% into a new Johannesburg Surgical Hospital um, in Rudderport, and then about 36% into various smaller VCC transactions and structuring um, transactions. So myself, um, Group CEO, Yaku Gerber, my partner, is the group CFO. We founded Futureneers, and James recently joined us. Okay, so no pressure, James, on that intro <laughs> as the newbie in the room. Thanks, Dion. Thanks, Ghost. So basically, in terms of my background, I'm a chartered accountant, but I really sharpen my teeth in the Section 12J space as Dion and Yaku as well. And that's also where I met them probably back in, in 2019. But I was at a different fund. We were really friendly competitors, so we dealt with each other every now and again. In 2021, when Section 12J had its sunset clause, I, I came up with the idea of a Section 12B fund, and then I launched the first Section 12B fund back in 2021. So yeah, and then I, I decided to go out on my own last year, probably in March, and then it, yeah, it made quite a lot of sense to, to team up with the innovative guys at, at Future Years, probably last year around June and July, because we both had assets and um, we, we teamed up. To, to do some more Section 12B and Section 12BA. Just in terms of historical returns for our 12J investors of, of particular interest in the hospitality fund, specifically in the Pool Valley Hotel, we returned a 6% gross yield. And in the solar fund, we paid our first dividend last year, and that was um, a 7% gross dividend. So um, there's, there's been some, some track record and returns, and uh, we've got an investor base of probably about 250 high net worth individuals. And many of them have reinvested with us twice and three times. Quite an interesting client base, quite a few high net worths. I hadn't really heard the Futureneers name until James actually reached out to me about this. So have you been distributing through sort of just family offices to hit those high net worth individuals and now you're going a bit broader? Or, you know, what has the strategy been to kind of get the funding in for the assets? Yeah, Ghost, that's an interesting question. And I can proudly say that we've done the hard yards ourselves for the past few years. It was only in the last 12J capital raise in June 2021 when we started partnering with wealth managers and accounting firms. 
which we've done similarly this year. But our strategy going forward next year will is a keen focus on Port Pinguas, specifically wealth managers, to to raise capital going forward. But I mean, we've got a we've got a very extensive network, and as I said, you know, these existing investors tend to invest again and again. But yeah, it, it was the hard slog, unfortunately. Yeah, any entrepreneur knows that, eh? That good old hard slog. Very very familiar with that. I think what's what's obviously helped, of course, is you know the solar opportunity just blowing up in the market. Thank you so much, Eskom. And obviously, there's really been an explosion in this space, right? And I mean, government is incentivizing the private sector to try and help solve this problem. At the end of the day, that's what these tax rules do. But I think some of the questions that always, or certainly one of the questions that is always on someone's lips when they they hear about one of these solar funds is, you know, do the economics of the opportunity stack up even without the tax benefits. So is it the tax that takes it into the realm of being attractive or is it an already decent investment and the tax just makes it that much better? Yeah. So Ghost, I think to to answer your question, I think it absolutely makes sense on its own and it can stand on its own two feet. I think the, the easiest way to explain that is probably to look at a simple example. So let's say for argument's sake, we, we develop a 10 million rand solar asset. We would end typically between 1 million, 1.2 million rand a year after operating expenses on that asset. So it's a net yield of around 10 to 12%. And then that yield grows every year with CPI plus 1 or 2 or 3%. So, you know, if, if you stack that up over the next 15, 20, 25 years, that's the lifetime of that asset, we probably come to between 15 and 20% cash on cash pre-tax IRR. So the, the way that I like to look at the tax break, is essentially that SARS is giving you a loan upfront, but you'll have to pay back that loan in, in the future as you make profits or if you sell the asset prematurely. So yeah, the, the tax benefit really just makes it easier for people to take the plunge now. And because SARS funds a big portion of your investment upfront, but but you'll still have to pay them back in the future. So yeah, it absolutely makes sense to, to invest in solar, even without the, the tax incentive. And maybe just added to that, or yeah, just related to that, and maybe now's a good time to actually deal with it. I mean, you placed an article in Ghostmail, which dealt with quite a good worked example of what an investment in the fund means. But I think without making it difficult to follow the numbers for someone listening to the show, it's quite nice to just do a high level example of how it actually works from a tax perspective. And also down the line, what does it mean? You know, are there tax recoupments? Do you win now, but you pay later? How does it actually work from a tax perspective? Because that's also very important to understand, obviously. So, Ghost, I think the easiest way is always to look at it from a 1 million rand example perspective and you take like a 45% taxpayer. So, essentially, in the in the fund that we're currently offering is if someone invests a million rand, they will get a 125% tax deduction. And if you're a 45% taxpayer, you'll get 562,500 back from SARS immediately if you're a provisional taxpayer, or you'll have to wait until July to actually get that tax refund from SARS. And yeah, then on average over the next nine, 10 years, we, we target to return between nine and 10% to investors before tax. That's roughly 6% after tax, but then in year 10, we have a best endeavor to to exit the investors at that point in time, which will bring the return to about 13% after tax. So yeah, that's in a nutshell what what we're offering currently. And then what happens in year 10 on exit? What does the tax look like at that stage? Yeah, so let's say for argument's sake, we we sell that asset for 800,000 Rand. Remember, I think solar is a depreciating asset, so it does deteriorate somewhat every year. So for argument's sake, let's say we sell that asset for 800,000 Rand in, in year 10. 
what will then happen is you will pay if you're in the 45% tax bracket at that point in time, there will be a recoupment of the tax benefit and, and you will pay 45% on that 800,000 rand at that point in time. So time value of money very much on your side here, right? You get a deduction today, your recoupment is years down the line and it's on a depreciated value. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think the, the, the way that I'd like to look at it, especially if you're a bit younger, you still have a, a little bit of life in you, you can wait for 25 years. Like we, we won't force people to sell in 10 years time unless there's a whole portfolio buyout. So it, it actually makes a lot more sense to, to stick the whole 25 years because it does increase the RR, um, especially if you're in a geared fund, because usually after 10 years, then the, the, the debt is settled, and then you actually start earning the nice returns after 10 years. And, and solar assets really do have a long lifespan. I, I always think about the story that the first solar asset that was installed in the 1970s in, in the States is still uh, generating electricity today. So they, they still have life in them for, for quite Sometime. Yeah, just sorry, one last question, cause, just because I'm genuinely curious. I mean, that year 10 exit, who do you envisage, it's a long time away, but who do you envisage the types of buyers for these assets would be? I mean, I would imagine it would be institutions looking for very ESG-friendly yield, ranging from what life insurance all the way down to other instos. Am I way off the mark here, or is that the sort of exit you have in mind? Yeah, look, I, I think there, there's always finance houses looking for a, for a yield. And, you know, even today, if, if it's asset-backed, um, there's quite a few players in the market that's looking at that type. So the these power purchase agreements that we sign, they have a lifespan between, call it 15 and 25 years. So at that point in time, you can really bundle them all together and, and then sell them to someone looking for a, you know, nice green yield that, that's willing to pay. And obviously you have a track record of these assets performing and what they can do at that point in time. Or, you know, we, you can always go and look to, to ask the investors who want to stay in and then go and just take out further uh, debt and, and try and buy out the investors that want to exit at that point in time. And in terms of how this tax regime might develop over time. I mean, none of us have a crystal ball when it comes to ESCOM, but we do have the ESCOM to push app. And obviously that tells us load shedding is not going away anytime soon. I mean, I think the the return of stage six, basically the ink was barely dry on Sono. It was just incredible for basically everyone. We kind of knew it was going to bounce back, but I, <laughs> it was the rate at which it bounced back and straight to stage six that I think was was reasonably shocking. So it feels like, you know, budget speech is right around the corner it doesn't feel like the support for solar is suddenly about to disappear. If anything, it's probably going to go up. But maybe you can just talk us through, is this a multi-year opportunity under what they've brought in as these new sections? Or you know, how does this actually work? Yeah. So, Ghost, I think I hope there for a moment that when Andre de Reiter left, that they would get Edward Kieswetter in there to, to leave SARS and then rather go and sort out the mess at ESCOM. But I, I think in terms of a, a tax regime perspective, there's really two catalysts, the one being the obvious load shedding problem. And then the, the second thing being that we have like global carbon targets that we'll have to meet in the next couple of years. You know, everyone's always saying net zero 2030. And, and that's also that something that governments seem quite passionate about. So there, there's been a whole lot of solar going up over the last 18 months, especially since this 125% tax allowance came in. And will really be interesting to see how the, the government and Fiscus views this. I, I think that they'll probably end the 125% next year just because so much solar has been going up and it, it's taking quite a lot of money out of the budget. 
but we'll probably revert back then to the, the 100% tax deduction on, on solar of less than one megawatt and the 50-30-20 deduction on the other renewable energies such as wind or hydro or, or bigger scale solar projects. And then, you know, maybe someday in the long distant future, we'll look at 50-30-20 for all the renewable assets, but that's only once load shedding, I think, is completely in the past and, and we've met our carbon target. So, yeah, uh, hopefully they can keep it for a, for a couple more years. <laughs> Because yeah, it's really working, I think, to, to get money into the renewable energy space. And South Africa is really shooting the lights out currently in terms of green energy adoption. And James, I think you and I might have grandchildren by the time we go 50, 30, 20, because we have enough renewables in this country. But I suppose time will tell. And just for the listeners who don't necessarily understand that reference, so that means basically the rate at which you can deduct the spend, 50% year one, then 30%, then 20%. It's like a very standard sort of profile for businesses being able to deduct assets. So when they give you these accelerated deductions in the fiscus or in the budget, you know, 100% year one or whatever, it's quite rare. And that's why people tend to take advantage of it. But I think that gives a pretty good understanding of the tax. I think, Dion, I'm going to check that you're still awake and bring a question back to you, which is uh, what makes Futuneers different? Because there is quite a lot of solar that has come out in the market now. There are a few funds taking advantage of these tax opportunities, as you would expect. The fiscus definitely doesn't go and uh, change the law just so that one fund can jump in. So in your view, given that you're a co-founder of the business, what is it that makes Futureneers different? Yeah, thank you. It's a good question. And um, I think the first and obvious one is the fact that the, you know, the, the, pers- the people involved in this business, myself, Yaku, James, we're all highly entrepreneurial. You know, for example, in the 12J days, you know, we were the first 12J fund that managed to do a deal with um, a loan company to provide loans to investors to invest into our 12J fund. Then there was market adoption of that, you know, afterwards. That's just one example. The second thing is that these, these plants that we, that we construct, we, we, we're not only playing a fund manager role here. We are actively involved in the operations of these entities which is fundamentally different from, from the other funds. And, and then I think lastly, um, the fact that, as I mentioned right in the beginning, we're the only fund at this point in time that has new generating assets. We took a completely different view from the others. And we said, let's go and find the assets first. We had the privilege of 12J funds and some personal funds that we, that we used to develop these assets, complete them, and then sell them across to the income and deed partnerships where the capital is raised from the 12B investors in terms of limited partners. Interesting. So yeah, very much that entrepreneurial spirit. I guess that kind of comes through in what James was saying, you know, went off and started a fund and then kind of joined forces with you guys. It does feel like, yeah, just people have kind of said no to the traditional corporate route and are figuring it out and, and doing interesting things. That does seem to be the culture there. So James, I just want to bring you back to one of the tax concepts, uh, which I think is important to really you know, get right. And I think it also kind of talks to the fact that historically, a lot of the capital raising in your guys' business has come from these sort of high net worth individuals, which would typically mean high tax rates, because we do have this kind of progressive tax rate system in South Africa, where the more you earn, the more you pay, fun and games. So when you're getting a tax deduction, it means that if you're in a higher tax rate, you are getting a higher benefit. I just want to make sure that point is understood by the listeners. You know, the benefit of doing this, the benefit of getting the accelerated deduction. Am I right that if you're in the 45% tax bracket, that does great things for your investment returns, 
versus being in one of the lower brackets? Yes, Ghost. So, yeah, essentially, if, if you're paying tax in, in the higher bracket, let's say for arguments like the, the 45%, you, you're getting a bigger upfront saving. So, and that means that you, you essentially have to take out less money out of your own pocket to put into this investment and, and SARS invests a bigger portion. So, I think there's definitely a bigger opportunity or better returns for the investors in the higher tax brackets. But that being said, the investors in the higher tax brackets will also most probably pay higher taxes on their earnings on the specific investment in the future. So I think just to give you a comparison, so a 45% taxpayer will probably get, as I mentioned earlier, a 13% after tax IRR where on the same basis, a taxpayer in the 39% tax bracket, investing the same amount, exactly the same product, everything else being similar and equal will only achieve like a, an 11% targeted IRR. So there's definitely a slightly better um, advantage for investors in the higher tax brackets. But this, this product that we have now is essentially designed better for, because it's lower gearing, it's better designed for people in the lower tax brackets and even for companies that, that's paying taxes 27%. So um, th- that's been one of the probably biggest points of feedback that we've been getting from the market since we started the capital raises that, look, I'm not in the 45% tax bracket, can, but I also would like to invest in something that would actually make sense for me. So, you know, even if you get a, an 11% after tax RR, it, it's still worth a punt if, if you're looking at an after-tax RR of, of call it 5 or 6% when you put your money in the bank, which is obviously a lot less risky, but you, you can't use your tax to invest in a vehicle such as that. Yeah, understood. And what protection, speaking of risk, uh, thank you for basically bringing me to my next question, which is what protections do investors actually have in this regard? And I think I'd like you to answer that based on not just the asset level, but also just future years as a business in terms of licenses you guys have. I think particularly given it's a relatively new brand to a lot of people who won't necessarily have heard of you before, I think it would be good to just understand the layers of protection. If I can maybe speak to the first component of that, Tuchinia is, is a registered FSP, and it has been since we started um, doing 12J raises. So from a compliance perspective, um, you know, we've covered as far as that's concerned. And and then I think from a from a source perspective and a audit perspective, you know, it's it's physical, real assets. We, we can even take the investors to, to go and look at the assets so that they can touch and feel them. But we, for the people not willing to make out the trips to the remote areas of our plants, we can show them photos. And yeah, we, we're, we're a fund. So essentially, that's in a partnership structure. So that partnership have auditors and financial statements that, that you'll get. And then the, the other thing that I also think is, is quite helpful is for, for the investors to go onto SARS's website. And there was a tax ruling published in, in December 2022, just on what, and, and it really shows what SARS's view is on the partnership structure with Section 12B and, and solar investments specifically. But I, I suppose there's still a little bit of trust involved. Yeah, I, I think that's the view that investors will have to take. They they need to, to have a chat with us and, and see if, if they can trust us. But And we also have that licenses, as Dion mentioned. So end of February is literally right here. Are you still raising for this tax year or is something that uh, potential investors should maybe be contemplating for their 2025 planning when they speak to their financial advisors, which I certainly always recommend. As any listener knows, this is never advice. Always need to do your own research, chat to your advisor and see how any of these opportunities fit in with your portfolio. But is the opportunity still there for February 2024 or is this now something people should think about going forward? Absolutely. We closed our first fund for the 2024 tax year last week. 
And we, we're actually launching our new fund today being the 19th of February. The podcast will only probably come out a little bit later. But yeah, as, as Dion also mentioned before, we are the only fund managers raising for 2024 vintage assets that will give the investors a 125% tax break. So, and, and there's really only two bites at that 125% cherry. So I, I'd encourage investors to reach out to us in as soon as possible. We filled up our previous fund quicker than what we expected. And, and I think this next fund will probably go quite quickly as well. So if you still have hard and tax money, have a chat with us. James, thank you. Dion, any uh, closing comments from you or shall I allow you guys to go off and have a very busy February? <laughs> thank you very much. I think the closing comment from my side would be that, and I have this comment actually from investors often when we get to the end of our presentations. They, they view this as a mechanism to channel the hard-earned tax money into fixing the actual problem that we're sitting with in this country. They can see where the money is going. They can touch it. They can feel it. It's on their balance sheet. So, yeah, look at it from that point of view. Yeah, I can understand that. I really, really can, given where we are as a country. So, Dion, James, thank you very much for your time. And then just to close off, for those who are interested in learning more, chatting to you guys, finding out a little bit more, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, the, the best way would be to either contact us directly. You can go to our website at futurenears.co.za or they can contact us through the Ghost website. And I'm sure there's a link that they can click on to get to us. Yeah, I'll include a link underneath the podcast that goes to the site. But gentlemen, thank you very, very much. And all the best with this. And to the listeners, again, I just want to reiterate, you always do need to do your own research. Go check it out. Have a look. Reach out to the guys if this sounds interesting to you. Chat to your advisor. Make sure you understand the tax and the yield and everything else always very very important this platform is really just to expose you to opportunities and for me to ask some of the questions that i think you should be asking but dion james thank you very much for your time and all the best thank you ghost thanks ghost futureneers is a registered financial services provider fsp 46996 and registered section 12j venture capital company 